soulmates, we are back at it. Some of you may be in uh, recovery <laughs> from from yesterday, the big love day. Yes. Uh -huh. How was your Valentine's Day? It was good. You know, it's it's a. It's a it's a doozy because it's it's Valentine's Day. It's my husband's birthday. And and what? Well, now today is birthday Eve. Oh yeah, it's birthday. Somebody's yeah. Courtney Hicks Lanier. That's why guys used to break up with me. It was too much. It was too much back to back to back. But the husband hung on in there, and now he's the husband. And so yeah, I was definitely on duty last night, honey. <laughs> <laughs> on duty is that what we call it? Yeah. How about you? Uh, I celebrated Valentine's Day in Denver with Montre this weekend. Okay. Yeah. So you did a pre-Valentine's Day. We did a pre-Valentine's Day, Aww. and we had a good time. As long as you get it in. Yeah. All right. That's right. That works. Yeah. All right. We have plenty to talk about on this. Uh, Wednesday, February 15th, including updates on the gunman from MSU, plant, plus an officer that's been arrested in Georgia for the death of a teenage girl. Welcome to Fox Souls Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicole Delay-Corte. We also have the details behind the New Jersey expansion of black history courses and the policy that could have a major impact on transgender mm. sports. It's the stories that impact our people. We are ready to bring you our news, our views, and our voice, so let's get into the conversation and we start with the father of the gunman who killed three students at Michigan State University. He says his sons turned evil and mean after his mother's death. It's being said that Anthony McRae, uh, seen here, changed his demeanor and outlook on life after his mom died suddenly of a stroke. This happened back in September of 2020. His dad went on to say that Anthony was a mama's boy and the two were very, very close best friends and that uh, after she died, he quit his warehouse job and he stayed home and pretty much played video games all day. And uh, the father, uh, Nikodalai, even went as far to say as it was more like a brother and sister relationship. Mm -hmm. I remember yesterday reading in on what the sister uh, had to say, and uh, she said she hadn't seen her brother uh, since the funeral of their mother back in 2020. And what makes this even more so sad, the, the father is a man of God. He really tried to um, uh, have a handle on, on the mental state uh, of his son, um, suggesting that he get up, get out, come with me to church, you know, apply for new jobs, find new opportunities. And uh, he was totally unaware that his son was involved until FBI came, you know, swarming his residence. You know, which uh, is Monday night, which is interesting because uh, there were neighbors that said that they saw uh, the perpetrator uh, engaged in uh, in he was target practicing practice, target yeah. practice in the mm -hmm, backyard. And mm -hmm. so, you know, how could his father not know anything? And I just just think this brings new meaning to see something, say something, mm -hmm. do something. Right. And I mean, this is really strange behavior that has uh, commenced over the course of the past couple years. Yeah. And so, you know, as I was reading this, I was thinking, well, you know, who sits there and lets their son just sort of play video games for two years following, you know, the death of their mom. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, according to the reports, he was trying to motivate. He was trying to get him out, apply for new jobs. He wanted him to get up, get out, go to church. So I feel like the father was making an effort. But by this time, you know, this is a grown son, uh, you know, on his own path. And, and making those uh, type of choices. So I think, you know, if you want to, you can blame the dad all day. I, I think um, the key is this this man's uh, decline um, and, and how it unfortunately uh, played out. And I think it, what is so heartbreaking and, and what really um, just stings for me is that because he did take his own life, 
um, you know, it may be hard to find or maybe we'll never find a connection as to why. You know, aside from maybe anger, you can conclude some things from the reports that, that, that keep coming out. But, but, but really, why? I know people were asking, you know, um, what's the connection? Was he a student? Was there some sort of affiliation? And right now, uh, police still have no idea. Uh, the dad did say or, or hint to that uh, his son uh, was maybe trying to apply for a job at Michigan State University. Uh, that wasn't quite clear, but that was uh, in some of the reports that have recently come out. So I think some, we're just going to have to um, maybe be at peace with never really knowing, unfortunately. Well, I mean, but I, I still think the investigation is only beginning, and so I'm sure there, there's a lot more that, that we can learn from this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, just last month, uh, the Michigan governor, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, had called for a whole package of uh, police reforms, including red flag laws, which, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. who knows, might have made a difference in this case. And so uh, moving uh, from what's happening here in Michigan to what's happening in Buffalo, the long overdue sentencing of the Buffalo gunman finally took place this week and the shooter actually apologized in court. Now, his name is Peyton Gendron and he's 18 years old. He stood up and he said he was remorseful and regrets all the decisions he made leading up to the shooting in May. Now, Peyton, is, he's going to serve in prison, but said, looking back, he can't believe he actually killed those people. Mm. He said he believed what he read online and acted out of hate. Now, Courtney, I don't know about you, but it's really hard for me to accept this apology. And I know my faith tells me to forgive, mm. to forgive, but this one, is, it's going to take me some time. So I can only imagine how the families feel. And, and uh, uh, also, there's, there's some guilt that lies with the social media companies because for a long time, mm -hmm. you know, there have been a lot of activists and advocates that have said that these platforms are being misused to spread misinformation and disinformation and radicalize people uh, around white supremacy ideology. And we haven't seen these social media companies um, be held to account regarding that. And so you have the killer that actually says in court, mm -hmm. I can't believe I did that. Yeah, um, a far stretch from where he was when he first committed these uh, heinous acts because he was very defiant. Uh, he was very intentional. Uh, he he cased those uh, that particular store and other stores uh, in Buffalo. He cased that neighborhood. So, you know, fast forward to today where you've been sentenced uh, for life. Uh, cut it with the tears. I don't I don't I don't I don't want to hear the tears. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm not there just yet. And, and I'm not even a family member or part of that community. That would be very hard for me to digest. As a matter of fact, uh, in the courtroom, uh, while uh, the Victims' families uh, were giving, you know, their say so on it. Um, this young man was actually charged by, I do believe, a family member of, of one of the victims. So uh, there's still a lot of anger, uh, a side, a, a, a coupled, if you will, with the hurt. And uh, I think, um, you know, okay, so you apologize, but I don't think it's enough. I don't think it'll ever be enough. And I don't think people are ready for the apology. I, I, I sure wasn't ready for it, yeah. and, and all I could think about and the tears. He had were, tears. Were, were, were the, the ten souls whose mm -hmm. lives were cut short, yeah. uh, you know, because he decided that they didn't deserve to live. Mm -hmm. Heartbreaking. All right, so let's go from Buffalo to Mississippi, uh, where there are several white officers. They are under investigation for lying on two black men, saying they were selling drugs and get this, dating white women before placing them under arrest. Michael C. Jenkins and Eddie Terrell. Parker were at a home when six officers raided that home without a warrant. The cops brutally tortured the men with one of the officers 
shooting one of the men in the mouth. Now that could end up uh, being attempted murder charges as this case and this investigation moves along. Now reports also say the officers even waterboarded the two men and one witness even described the officers participating in a taser contest of the men. And back to that officer shooting uh, one of those victims in the mouth. He actually had to have his tongue removed. Oh so he could not talk and he has to you know, communicate via writing. Uh, those victims were on uh, life support. Uh, when you talk about waterboarding, that is a, a a, a torture technique where you are uh, restrained and uh, water is poured on your head and, and just the way you're positioned, you feel as though if you're going to drown to sort of kind of uh, force you into some sort of confession. And that act of torture has even been outlawed by the U.S. Uh, government after they found that soldiers were using those techniques in Iraq. So so maybe that hints to maybe these officers having some, some sort of military uh, background, but an absolute outcry. Uh, you know, I'm glad that we're able to share this story because I, people are, are not aware because I think this should be on the forefront. Uh, I know these men have survived their injuries, thank God, but this should be on the forefront of, of everybody's mind, much in the likeness of the Tyree Nichols case. That's right. And also much in, in the likes of Emmett Till. It really conjured up mm -hmm. memories for me mm -hmm. of Emmett Till. Here we, here we go in Mississippi mm -hmm. again. I think, you know, Nina, Nina Simone has a song, Mississippi, oh, Mississippi. GD, right? <laughs> now, that's exactly where, where I went with this. And this is just a reminder mm -hmm. of just how critical the ban on no-knock warrants mm -hmm. are in this push for nationwide police reform. You know, everybody's always talking about the training. Mm -hmm. Oh, we need more training for officers, mm -hmm. right? What was it in the training that said that any one of these techniques was legal, mm -hmm. that any one of these techniques was acceptable, Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, how can we just sort of stand by and we we allow this 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 really heinous misuse of, of, yeah. of authority and this overuse of force? Yeah. How can we allow this to stand? For me, it's not even a talk of training. This is going back to the Nichols case. It's, it's not it's not uh, white. It's not black. For, for me right now, at this point, it's about blue and the culture. And this is like the wild, wild west or in this case, being in Mississippi, the wild, wild south. And these officers feel they have the license to be judge, jury, and as you quite often say, executioner, uh, all in one in one swoop here. And so that culture is going to have to continue to be criticized, reimagined. Uh, you know, we're going to have to continue to politic when it comes to the policies and find a new way of policing because this ain't it. There's a black man it. in America today that does not have a tongue. Yeah. does not have a tongue to use mm -hmm. because these officers made it their business to harass and um, and, and, and Take harm him, him in the most heinous That's of ways. Right. And so uh, we'll continue to keep our eye on that story. But moving on to Georgia, where a young 22-year-old officer in Georgia has been fired and arrested for hiding the death of a 16-year-old. Susanna Morales has been missing since July of last year, and her body was finally found near a highway. This week, well, evidence led to officers uh, that uh, were charged uh, in Miles Bryant uh, uh, with, with falsely reporting a crime and concealing the death of another. On the night Morales was last seen alive, she texted her mom uh, that she was on her way home and clearly mm. she didn't make it home. 
you know, it, these uh, stories are absolutely heartbreaking, and that's why it's so important. I think, you know, once they break for us, uh, you know, news agencies like ourselves to circle back around so we can continue to get out the details, continue to get out the information, because somebody somewhere knows something, and you always say, if you say something, see something. And do something. And, and do something. And just think about how many um, cases go unsolved or how many families are still tortured by not knowing what has happened uh, to their loved ones, even though uh, the story may not end the way that they would want it to end. But this is why it's so important to circle back around to these stories and, and make sure that proper information is put out there. Yeah, and, and, and the fact that this family, for six months, mm -hmm. didn't know what happened to their baby girl. That's right. That's you know, right. and you think that the law enforcement is on your side, right? But the idea that law enforcement might have been in cahoots mm -hmm. with, with whoever harmed her, uh, that shouldn't sit well with any of us. At all. All right, could uh, the White House see, could the White House see another brother? adding to the growing list of Republicans hoping to grab the office next year is South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. Now, Scott hasn't uh, made too much of an official announcement just yet, but there are reports close to his camp, inside his camp, around his camp, saying he's gearing up to toss his hat in the uh, presidential ring. Now, for years, Scott has been considered um, heavy for the presidency. He's got the look, he's got the, the resume. He was the 2021 Republican Republican nominee who was selected to answer Biden's address, you may remember, to Congress. And um, look, he's always been one of those ones who's been out there um, in consideration, you know, having the look, having the say so, having the color. <laughs> Um, you know, with, with that's, hel that's helpful among some Republicans, know, but not other Republicans, particularly the MAGA Republicans. I know, but, but, with, but with you know, Republicans want to you know, wanting to push a particular agenda and and make it a lot more colorful to maybe appeal uh, to other type of voters, the voters that we all know that they've just ignored from election to election. Uh, maybe this time around, with uh, some of them trying to get away from Trump, maybe uh, Tom might be their guy this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Senator Tim Scott, you know, Tim, may, may, you know, may be their their guy, uh, but uh, I think he he might be used to excuse uh, the calls for racial justice that uh, the Republican Party has been absolutely tone deaf mm -hmm. deaf on. I just want to also remind our soulmates that Tim Scott uh, was the leading Republican that was supposed to be negotiating the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act mm -hmm. in the Senate, uh, and it never quite got over the finish line. And so he's going to have some explain to do on the campaign trail if he wants a shot at the Republican nomination yeah, for president. Yeah, but early on he's saying he wants you know, us to come together and he wants to create opportunity. So he's already starting in on what, what he feels his agenda should be in, in hopes of, of, you know, bringing that Republican Party together. But we shall see. We shall see. Yes. Well, speaking of uh, what we're seeing, uh, now we go to Texas. We're members of the Texas Legislative Black Caucus. They're calling out Florida's governor for saying that diversity hiring causes discrimination. That's right, you heard it right. They say the claims in the memo are not true and that the policies are helpful in creating a level playing field for minorities in the workplace. The caucus says this is a political stunt to attract extreme right-wing support for a possible presidential run. What say ye? Water <laughs> is wet.
<laughs> water is say. wet. This is obvious. This is obvious. And, and, and it's no surprise that, you know, from Florida mm -hmm. to South Carolina to Texas, all red states, right? They, they all seem to Very be red. on this reverse discrimination tip, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, going after uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, really declaring war on black history. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think we can expect them to turn up the volume. You know, uh, just earlier today, I had a conversation with uh, uh, Representative Jim Clyburn, uh, and he's going to uh, talk a whole lot more about that on my Sunday show on KBLA on Sunday. Oh, but wow. he had a lot to say about this and more. All right, let's move on here. Let's go to Tennessee, uh, where State Representative Justin Pearson was recently criticized for wearing a dashiki on his first day at work, saying it was to honor the ancestors. Now, State Representative David Hawk, he's a Republican, tweeted on the importance of appearance and other representatives had mixed reactions. Uh, Pearson plans to wear traditional African clothing with a tie and a jacket if necessary, while Representative Karen Camper called this a learning moment. Sound like she's trying to bring the peace. Now, the Tennessee House has no dress code, but the event has prompted questions about whether black uh, folks should be punished for wearing traditional African clothing to work. A big debate on tap here. This is this is a part of the war on black folks. And the culture. Right, this is, this is exactly what this is all about, mm -hmm. you know, and Republicans are saying the quiet part out loud. Mm -hmm. As you reported, there's no dress code, mm -hmm. right? But mm -hmm. They want to enforce a standard. Well, there's no standard, right? And, you know, he's not wearing anything inappropriate. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier. There, you know, there are other garments yeah, that people wear across cultures. What came to mind for me was, you know, is there a problem when someone wears a yarmulke or a turban or a, or a hijab? Um, aren't those along the same lines as far as I'm concerned? And so why not the uproar? I mean, and these have been traditionally worn, you know, throughout the years, um, whether they be in an official setting or, or informal. So I'm wondering, you know, if, if you're going to have a problem with one, you're going to have to have a problem with all of them. And so it makes it very fishy and dicey when there's a problem with one particular uh, set of clothing that's assigned to a particular culture. Mm -hmm. That's where I have the problem. Well, yeah. well, uh, New Jersey governor says, you know, he don't want no problems around AP Black <laughs> History in his state. If only Florida could take a page out of the New Jersey uh, uh, playbook, the state is looking to expand expand their black history courses for students. Next year, 26 schools will offer the AP class and only one offered it this year as a part of a pilot program. So New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy says that New Jersey will proudly teach our kids that black history is American history. That's all we've been saying. Hats off. Time to Governor Murphy, he gets it. He does. This is not, this doesn't have to be that difficult. And we need to hear from more uh, politicians, you know, come from behind this, you know, this mask here. And, you know, if this is the way you feel, we kind of got into this debate yesterday, if this is the way you take a stand, I mean, uh, we need to hear from more uh, politicians who, who feel this way or know they should be feeling this way to speak up and say, no, this isn't right. No, we need to, you know, let's, let's equally divide the, the, the piece of the pie, you know, and learn about everybody's history and be inclusive and understand that black history is American history. I mean, how many times do we have to do we have to claim it? Mm -hmm. How many times do we have to claim and it? And especially white politicians and allies. That's right. Be an ally. That's right. All right. Uh, Georgia, Not a lie. <laughs> Georgia Republicans are pushing for a statue 
of U.S. Supreme Court, Justice Clarence Thomas, to be erected on the state capitol grounds. They trying it. De Democrats, especially uh, black ones, see it as an insensitive display of partisan power. The Senate voted 32 to 20 along party lines to mandate the statue. Savannah Republican Senator Ben Watson argues that Thomas deserves a place of honor. But Senator Nan Oreck, Oreck says his service is problematic, citing his confirmation amid Anita Hill's testimony and his rulings on the Supreme Court. Now, they also criticized Thomas's wife for her involvement in the 2020 election uh, in grown folks business and, and, and how left she took that situation. Uh, look, can we separate uh, you know, policy from the accomplishments? Is he still, you know, an accomplished, you know, man that would, you know, deserve a, a statue? Can you separate uh, the two? Because, you know, you have folks like Ben Carson, you have folks mm. like um, Herm, the late Herman Cain, mm. who have some incredible stories, who were very accomplished men who came, you know, from, from, from very um, tough backgrounds and were able to succeed and be, because they align themselves with certain policies or they feel a certain way or they align themselves with a certain politician, namely Trump, do they not deserve to be recognized for their accomplishments? Let me cut to the chase. Okay. Have you ever seen the movie Django Unchained? Django? Yeah. You, with, uh, with, with Jamie, Jamie Foxx Fox and yeah. Samuel L. Jackson. You Django. remember Samuel L. Jackson's character? <laughs> You remember Stephen? You think that's what this? Well, I, I'm, I'm just saying, but wanna, I'm not they, debating if, that. If they erected a statue of Stephen from Django right mm -hmm. next to Clarence Thomas's statue, I would not be surprised. But I'm not. Well, listen, I'm talking about their accomplishments. I'm talking about would, sure. would they still be deemed as as figures, as as accomplished men, you know, for there to be some sort of uh, you know recognizing of their accomplishments. Uh, you know, embodied in a statue. I Aside think, from what you disagree about is what I'm saying. I think history will remember certain folks fondly and mm -hmm. other folks not so fondly. And, you know, sure, put up the statue of Clarence Thomas and put his record out there. I don't, I don't think future generations mm -hmm. are going to celebrate him the way that, uh, you know, the, this Republican-controlled legislature in Georgia thinks that people will. But sure, go ahead. If you want to put him up <laughs> as your mascot, go ahead. <laughs> You like it. Some people love it. <laughs> Not you. We know. Moving on. For suspects having been arrested in Florida for their alleged role in the assassination of uh, the Haitian president, um, the suspects include Antonio Intriego, Arcangel Pratel Ortiz, Walter Ventimilla, and Frederick Bergman. The investigation focuses on weapons, ballistic vests, and financing used in the plot. The assassination was, has, it has, it's emboldened gangs in Haiti, leading to increased violence and political turmoil. Now, the latest arrests come a day before a conference on Haiti by the Caribbean bloc, uh, CARICOM. And, you know, mm. uh, I've got to say, there has been a lot happening in Haiti. We've been tracking this so story much. very closely. Uh, the adoption of Haitian kids has been held up uh, in the uh, U.S. State Department. Basically, they're not processing these these uh, 
uh, adoptions fast enough. Uh, that is an issue. And so for people uh, over at the uh, U.S. State Department that are working mm -hmm. on this, you mm -hmm. know, we're looking at you. Mm -hmm. You all got to do better uh, uh, to prioritize these kids. It's within U.S. policy to prioritize uh, these adoptions. And, and they're not doing it. And, you know, these gangs have really taken over oh, Haiti. You know, the record number the of country. murders mm -hmm. and rapes. And so there's a lot of instability there. Uh, and, you know, for all the folks out there that act like Haitians are not deserving mm -hmm. of seeking asylum mm -hmm. in the U.S. and other places, you know, take a look uh, at what is happening there. And so it is a step forward mm -hmm. uh, that they have found some of the perpetrators, the alleged perpetrators, but they need to do, we need to do more. But they have to see the worth. They have to see the worth in that beautiful, beautiful island, the rich history, the legacy, and they have to see the worth. And once they see the worth, then the goal and the mission is to help Haiti. Yeah. They need help. Yeah. Help Haiti. All right, coming up, a new study is showing what younger black Americans are doing with their spare time. That's right. We'll tell you all about it when we return. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. So back to that statue of uh, old boy. Steven. <laughs> Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Now off to Connecticut, where a federal appeals court has reinstated a challenge to Connecticut's policy of allowing transgender girls to compete in girls' high school sports two months after a three-judge panel upheld the rules. Yeah, the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New York says uh the full court will rehear the appeal of four cisgender runners who say they were unfairly forced to race against transgender athletes in high school competition. Now, the court has become more conservative in recent years with five of its 13 judges, excluding several senior judges. Uh, having been appointed by former President Donald Trump, a lawyer with the Conservative Alliance Defending Freedom, which represented the four Connecticut cisgender athletes, said the group was pleased by the court's decision. And we've, we've gone back and forth about this uh, before. I think my biggest concern, and I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a stand, you stand on it, is biologically um, are these athletes these transgender athletes biologically biologically not with 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 what they identify with but biologically are they at an advantage over uh, a, a female if they're biologically male are they are they're more is there more of an advantage biologically speaking over a female athlete and if there is that's where things get a little gray and dicey for me because I don't know if that's fair. Well, it's important to note that there, uh, there's, there's still a lot more research that needs to be done, but based upon the evidence that's out there right now, mm -hmm. uh, there's no evidence that suggests that they have a biological advantage, mm -hmm. right? Uh, in fact, uh, you know, there, there was uh, the judge thought, uh, the transgender athlete's ability to compete in sports is subject to a continuing national debate. We know that 18 states have passed laws banning transgender women or girls in sports uh, based upon the premise that it gives them an unfair competitive advantage. But mm -hmm. that is unfounded. Mm -hmm. That's unfounded. And, and, and uh, there were a number of judges that said that the conservatives that were bringing this case really didn't have the standing because there wasn't enough evidence mm -hmm. uh, that suggested that that was true. There were a number of events uh, that these two black girls, mm -hmm. these two two black trans girls uh, uh, participated in where they didn't win every race, 
right? And so if they have this sort of biological advantage, but the right, question still remains, uh, then, so. then uh, you know, the scoreboard would look a whole lot different. I don't know. I, for, for me, I, I just think I would need more evidence. I would need more what do you, the research to confirm that there would be no biological uh, advantage because, you know, just, just you know, reading it on paper, it, it sounds like there very could well be an advantage between a biological male who now identifies as a female versus a female who was born, you know, biologically. But, I, you know, I just, I understand the argument and the yeah. concern. I just think it's important to point out that, you know, when folks transition, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. it's not that they just suddenly decide that they are going to dress in the gender identity that they mm -hmm. identify with, mm -hmm. that there is a process that mm -hmm. involves, you know, uh, hormone therapy and other forms of therapy, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think, I think there's an opportunity for people to, to lean in and learn a little bit more you know about uh, transitions yeah um, and, and especially among you know youth and again there is no evidence evidence that suggests that they have a a biological uh, yeah, I advantage. appreciate that it is a learning curve yeah. and I appreciate you 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 wrapping it up as such because for me it's 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 interesting yeah it's gray area for me all right well speaking of evidence evidence shows that throughout the US communities of color are more likely to be burdened by various industry infrastructure disproportionately jeopardizing the health of black and brown people Experts say that Houston and the Pipeline Project are microcosms of the nation's persistent environmental racism that subjects people of color to hazards. According to a 2017 Clear Air Task Force and NAACP report on air pollution from oil and gas facilities, black people are 75% more likely to live near industrial facilities in quote-unquote fence-line communities. In a study published last year in the Journal of Exposure Science and Environmental Epidemiology, Casey and uh, a team of, of researchers, they found formerly redlined neighborhoods were twice as likely to be oil and gas well sites, showing how federal policies continue to fuel structural racism. When we talk about Houston, Texas, mm -hmm. uh, it's important to know that the study of environmental justice uh, really started in places like Houston, Texas, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Houston, Texas being one of the energy capitals of the country, one of the energy capitals of, of the world. And, you know, we talk about the high asthma rates that black folks have. You know, we talk about other ailments uh, that happen when we live close to pollution sites. Well, this is a part of how this happens. You know, the, the rules of the road in terms of who's allowed to build these facilities and, and you know, what voice the community has and pushing back, uh, you know, that is critically important. And in places like Houston, you know, it's not happening enough. I would agree with that one. Now, when it comes to making impulsive purchases, black millennials and Gen Z's appear more susceptible to practicing that behavior than other consumers like uh, Xer here, Gen X. Uh, new data shows that nearly 70% of black millennials and two thirds of black Gen Z's report they make impulsive or unplanned purchases based on a social media ad. Their spending is higher than 50% of all Americans. Now, social media marketing is big business, we know. Uh, but did you know that sources say advertisers were projected to spend more than $56 billion promoting their products on social networks in 2022? 
there's a Center for Economic Growth that estimates black spending power will rise to $1.8 trillion by 2024. We've always had the power. We've always had the money. It's just never been respected. And I think as we continue to rise as a people and understanding how powerful our dollar is, maybe some of our strategies, if not all of our strategies on pushing back on some of these other issues will start mm -hmm. economically. That's the shift that uh, if you do a little research, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was making, which made people much more nervous uh, because he was going to shift to more of an economic uh, approach in, in uh, addressing uh, racism. But listen here, um, millennials, Gen Z's, the generation that wants it now, 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 and, and they want the, the big house. They want the $200,000 car. It is just, I love, I love how bold the generations are, but what I think they miss out on sometimes is there is a process. My generation, Gen X, my parents, baby boomers, you know, we had to save up. There was a process. There were steps. There were levels. I think these generations want it now, 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 which is why you probably see you know impulsive buying and, and increases and then being one of the biggest buyers out there you know when I saw the story I thought about my last impulse purchase well, which was I think it was uh, a savage by Fenty uh, purchase it was following uh, Rihanna's performance at the Super Bowl what was your last impulse purchase Gets her every time. Every time. Every time. Now moving I'm, on. I, I'm not an impulse person, so I, I, I just, you know. Okay. Uh -uh. Well, good for you. Yeah. Good for you. I'll, I'll call you next time I have an Please impulse. Please do. I'll, I'll, to calm, purchase I'll calm you down. You better save your yes, money. Yes, yes, yes. Well, moving along, a new report shows a worrisome increase of suicides in 2021 after two years of consecutive declines with a sharp increase in the suicide rate of young black people. According to the CDC's Morbidity and Mortality Weekly report, suicide among young black folk aged 10 to 24 increased significantly by nearly 40% from 2018 to 2021. Now, there was a 5% overall increase of suicides among people ages 25 to 44, and blacks accounted for nearly 25% of that increase. Can you believe that? In a separate CDC report released this week, researchers found that teen girls experienced high levels of violence, sadness, and suicide risk in recent years. Black youth were less likely than other racial groups to report feeling sad and hopeless, but more likely to report suicide attempts than white, Asian, or Hispanic youth. Uh, Courtney, you know that uh, you know this is a, an issue that's deeply personal. Mm -hmm. uh, I lost my brother uh, to suicide yeah. uh, nearly 20 years ago. I can hardly believe it. It feels like yesterday uh, uh, so often. And uh, you know, you, you, you can't separate the vitriol mm -hmm. uh, that we've been reporting on day after day after day. You can't separate, you know, the war against black history uh, and just sort of the anti ugly anti-blackness that's out there mm -hmm. and feelings of hopelessness and despair and where that can possibly lead. The, the only thing I can think of, and I, and I think definitely there's some specifics to certain generations. The only thing I can think of between generation to generation is social media. I mean, I grew up in a time where there was a social media. You you trusted and relied on what your mama said, your daddy, your grandmama, your teacher, your pastor. You may have gotten a write-on magazine to see what the latest celebrity gossip was uh, or listen to a radio show. But the, the way that we're going about living our lives now, there's, these younger generations, are, are they're born into this technology. They're born into uh, this, this, this way of living our lives on social media. And I don't know if it's too much exposure. It, it, it causes for 
for too much of a of a short circuit when they can't handle it they can't process it the bullying that this the that you're supposed to look this way you're supposed to look that way you're supposed to have this dress this way I did not deal with that at, at uh, I'll be 52 uh, tomorrow. I did not deal with that. And so I think that's the only only difference that I can pinpoint as to why these stats uh, for these younger generations are, are off the chain. And even even my generation is happening. I'm not saying, you know, my generation is all together and because we, we had a, a certain kind of different upbringing, we're all together. That's not the case. But in regards to this story here, I, that's the only difference I see is well, social media. Well, you may be on something. And technology. Um, you know, the sort of surround sound yeah. uh, effect and the inability to unplug. And so mm -hmm. uh, we'll continue to keep our eye on that story mm -hmm. more. But up next, a Virginia lawyer is looking for a $3 billion payout from the University of Richmond. Well, okay. I'd love a billion dollar play, play, payout too. We'll, we'll take the reason behind the costly lawsuit when we return. You are watching Fox O's Black Report. Show me the money. Welcome back, Soulmates. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your day. Just in case you're joining us, let's uh, take a look back at some of the top stories of the day. The father of the gunman who killed three students at Michigan State University says his son turned, quote, evil and mean after his mother's death. It's being said that Anthony McRae, seen here, changed his demeanor and outlook on life after his mom died suddenly of a stroke back in September of 2020. And 22-year-old Mild Brainy has been fired as a Georgia officer and arrested for hiding the death of 16-year-old Susan Morales, who has been missing since July of last year, and her body was finally found near a highway this week. And a federal appeals court has reinstated a challenge to Connecticut's policy of allowing transgender girls to compete in female high school sports two months after a three-panel uh, judge upheld the rules. The second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New York said the full court will rehear the appeal of four cisgender runners who say they were unfairly forced to race against transgender athletes in high school competitions. And finally, a new evidence shows that communities of color are more likely to be burdened by various industry infrastructure, disproportionately jeopardizing the health of black and brown people. Experts say Houston and the pipeline project are microcosms of the nation persistent environmental racism that subjects people of color, soulmates like you and me, to hazards. For the full rundown on these stories and more, you can access Fox Soul's video on demand on any of our partners, and you can even access past shows and other black-centered content. And don't forget to download the Fox Soul app. It's free now. We quarter live back over to you. Thanks, Courtney. Now off to uh, Georgia news, where Georgia's first black senator, Reverend Raphael Warnock, has released a children's book for People Mag. That's what People Magazine is reporting. Uh, he's calling it Put Your Shoes On and Get Ready. And the inspiration behind the book's title comes from his father's daily morning wake-up call during his childhood. The book illustrates how those words put, put your shoes on and get ready taught him a larger lesson about the importance of preparation and following your purpose. 
The book encourages youngsters to embrace their authentic selves and illuminates the importance of charting a distinctive path and serving your community. We like that. It also features vibrant illustrations created by visual artist Tamika Grooms. Now, the release of the children's book comes nearly a year after his memoir, A Way Out of No Way, a memoir of truth, transformation, and the new American story hits bookshelves. I'm loving all these new varieties of, of um, black-based books to choose from for our uh, young people to see themselves on the pages, uh, to be beautifully illustrated uh, through these characters. So, you know, all this variety of these new black books these, and these emerging new authors um, is just, uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing and the irony is, hmm. uh, I wonder if this book would be on the bookshelves in schools and places like Florida and places like South Carolina and places like Texas. And so, so can you imagine this book being banned, right? Well, you should like imagine it others? because it is happening. Indeed. Hopefully that won't be the case for Senator Warnock. And the president of Prairie View A&M University, Ruth Simmons, is expected to step down earlier than her expected resignation date of June 1st. Now, the early resignation stems from a disagreement with the system chancellor regarding hiring during the remaining months of Simmons' uh, tenure as president. In a letter spread across campus uh, last week, Simmons said she was recently informed that she, could only continue as president with limited presidential authority. She didn't like that. Now, incoming president Tamika uh, Legrand is set to assume the position on June 1st. She is currently the vice president for strategy, enrollment, management, and student success at Virginia Commonwealth University. Uh, some grumblings uh, in the front office there, and uh, she didn't like uh, what was put out, and so she's going to keep it moving a little earlier uh, than expected. I think it's BS. You know, she she is currently the president of the of the university. She should be you know, operating. she should have every yeah. right to operate with the full authority uh, until her very last day. You know, don't treat her any different than you would treat any other president of a university, right? And so, I think it's a shame that she's leaving earlier uh, than her scheduled departure. You know, but how often do we see this where black folks in positions of power and influence and authority are treated differently? Well, but, but maybe it's a throwback to the whole sitting duck philosophy where you're about to go and so you know don't cause any waves or don't you know put anything in position because your presidency and you know and, and your um, you know you're about to be on out of there and so you know you're making room for what's what's new to come and Even so maybe they feel like you know she's just not in position uh, to start anything new or to make any hires because it's it's not going to be a part of the next president's philosophy I don't I don't buy it it's, it's it's Texas and you know funny stuff happens in Texas even the president of the United United States is working on his very last day in office up until 12 noon yeah. where there has to be a transition of power. This don't smell right. Mm. Well, moving on, this is something else that doesn't smell right. Uh, the family of T.C. Williams, a tobacco business owner who owned 25 to 40 enslaved people during slavery, is demanding that the University of Richmond pay more than three billion dollars after the school changed the name of its law school, which was named after him. Now, the school changed the name of six buildings, including Williams uh, Building, last year in response to the protests over buildings named after people who owned slaves. 
Williams family member, attorney Robert C. Smith, who filed the lawsuit, calculates that his family has given a total of $3.6 billion to the university over the decades. He stated, numbers don't lie. It might be worthwhile for you to require every woke activist to take a course in finance to appreciate those for whom they want to cancel. Hmm. All righty, it is time to highlight the accomplishments and achievements made across our community for the culture and beyond. So here's today's Black History. I feel like I'm in front of the class giving a Black History report. <laughs> About to be graded, I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm walking up to the chalkboard. You'll do just and, fine. And here we go. On this day in 1968, Henry Lewis became the conductor and musical director of the New Jersey Symphony, becoming the first African-American to lead a major symphony orchestra. And rapper Baby, born Brian Williams, in New Orleans, Williams, uh, who is also known as the Birdman, and his brother Ronald Williams founded the hip hop label Cash Money Records back in 1991. Baby is responsible for several hits, including Number One Stunner and Stay Fly with Big Timers, and also uh, Get Your Shine. Get Your, get your Shine. Uh, so, what does Diddy, Pharrell, and 50 Cent all have in common? Well, Soulmates, you'll have to come back to find out. This is Fox Souls Black Report. More when we come back. Welcome back to Fox Hills Black Report, your place for news, views, and opinions. That's it. All right. Hey, fashion lovers. What, what was that? What? Fashion lovers. You like that? No. Well, here's some big news. Uh, Pharrell Williams has just been announced as Louis Vuitton's new men's creative director, nice. taking over from the late Virgil Abloh, who passed away in November 2021. Yeah, Williams' appointment has been welcomed by many in the entertainment industry, including uh, rappers Moneybag Yo and Tigger, or is it Tiger? Tiger, Tigger, and supermodel Heidi Klum. He's no stranger to Louis Vuitton, having collaborated with them in the past, and his first collection for the brand will be revealed during Men's Fashion Week in Paris. That's going to be in June. So, soulmates, let's give a, a warm welcome to Pharrell Williams and honor the legacy of Virgil Abloh. Yeah, Virgil Abloh, yeah. I, I thought Pharrell's about to pop up for me. <laughs> I thought, like, the, right. the, the, the producers were surprising us with a surprise <laughs> Zoom or Skype or something. But okay. Joining us via hologram, right? Congratulations, well, well, but you know, But, you know what, you know, I'm going to say... Pharrell, next time you're in Detroit, oh gosh, you are we welcome go. to stop by Fox Souls Black Report and to just give us a taste. Give us a taste of what you're working on over at Louis Vuitton. Yeah, he's pretty abstract. It'll be interesting to see, you know, his his taste, his taste and style and how how he partners that, marriages that with with Louis Vuitton. You know, because um, Pharrell, you ever see his wife, him and his wife on yeah, the red carpet? Yeah. You go, hmm. Just saw them at the Grammys. Yeah, you go, hmm. Yeah. So I, I wonder how that's going to, you know, play out. Yeah, but there's always a market for that. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I said the same thing about Kanye and some of that stuff. I was like, hmm. Well, you know, you know who doesn't make you go, hmm? Who? 
Diddy. Well, yes, he does. <laughs> no, he don't. Yeah, oh, yes, he does. What you see is what you get with hip-hop <laughs> mogul Diddy, who has renamed his conglomerate of companies to Combs Global as he aims to create the largest portfolio of leading black-owned brands in the world. Combs Global includes Bad Boy Entertainment, Combs Spirits, Revolt Media, Sean John, Capital Preparatory Charter School and the Sean Combs Foundation, among others. This year marks several milestones for Diddy, including the 30th anniversary of Bad Boy Entertainment. Can you believe it's been 30 years? Oh yeah, I can. Uh, this also marks the 15th anniversary of his partnership with uh, Diego. Diego. Diego, right? And uh, the 10th anniversary of Revolt. Mm -hmm. And so a recent Uber commercial highlights Diddy's passion for creating and making hits. I really enjoyed and that Uber commercial. making babies. He's got a brand new baby. That's amazing. So he's got a brand new commercial yeah. and a brand new baby. Yes. So I can speak to the, the, the commercial. I saw the, the Uber commercial during the, mm -hmm. the Super Bowl. I thought it was funny. He, you know, listen, a visionary. And the baby's cute. Not taking anything away from him. He is doing his thing. Uh, you know, listen, keep getting it, Diddy. He's a billionaire, too, I do believe. All right, the estate of R&B pop legend Whitney Houston has announced the upcoming release of an album, I Go to the Rock, featuring six unreleased gospel tracks. Now, the album will be released on March 24th with the song Testimony set to release before the complete album. In addition to the album release, a documentary highlighting Houston's early love of gospel will also be available on some uh, digital uh, streaming platforms. The documentary will follow Houston's journey from her first church performance to the release of her best-selling soundtrack uh, for The Preacher's Wife back in 1996. And her You know career, what these mean? You know what this is? Well, jazz, so, praise no, 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 hands no, or jazz no, hands? No, so for, for the deaf ministry, this means uh, hallelujah. Oh, right. Okay. So for our soulmates that may not be listening, but me, may be watching. You took me way serious because right? I was thinking jazz hands and praise. <laughs> no, this, is, this is yeah. hallelujah in, in, uh, for the deaf ministry. But let's think about this woman's career, how it keeps giving. She's physically been gone a, a long time now, but this legacy is like none of it. They keep, the stuff keeps popping out and coming out as if she is here with us in, in the physical. It is absolutely amazing. People can't get enough of, 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 of Whitney. You've seen, for me, I've seen her life story over and over and over, but every time something else comes out, I want to see it again. I just, it's a testament to a legacy. And so, you know, I, I can only hope to leave just half of yeah. a legacy where people still want to have at it. I mean, and she she just continues to bless people. She is inspire. the voice. She is yeah. the, she is the voice of of a generation. Uh, she I, I would say she's a voice that transcends generations. Mm -hmm. You know, I just did a, a Soul Cycle class. It was the Whitney Houston class over at Equinox, and it was an incredible experience. All Whitney Houston songs, right? Really? She could have released those yesterday, and they would still be hot. Were they remixed or the original? No, or? no, they they were the original. And so uh -oh. her her content has really aged well. And so the fact that we have unreleased content from the the voice? Woo. So there were like fans blowing when y'all was This is too much. To, it's too much. It's when too you much. Were cycling to I will always love you with a fan.
blowing and waving. Like. Well, well, you know what's never too much? What? Rapper and entrepreneur 50 Cent has a new deal with Fox Entertainment to create TV shows through his company, G-Unit, film and television. The network will own all produced series, and G-Unit film and television will make, make them in association with Fox Entertainment Studios. This follows a public dispute between 50 Cent and stars. In a statement, 50 Cent said he's excited to partner with Fox and he'll continue to expand his company's content. Fox Entertainment's president of scripted programming, Michael Thorne, praised 50 Cent's storytelling talent and said he looks forward to collaborating with him and his team. We don't know about you, but we, can, we can't wait to see what they come up Let with. Let me tell now. you something about 50. I've come across him a few times in my in my in my career. Ladies, he always smells good. And even though he can sometimes come off like a bit of a jerk or like a mean guy, he is so gentlemanly and so mannerable. He even let me wear his chain. So like <laughs> this persona thing, I'm like, come on, man, you gotta let people see more of this because I was, I was taken. We're, good. We're, we're gonna let you continue to With reminisce 50. about I 50 was. over here. He let me wear his don't chain. Go, don't go anywhere. Interview. There's more Fox Souls Black Report Baby. after the break. Yeah, we have black excellence you don't want to miss. That man let me wear it. You know, they were wearing them. Ooh, old. you over here. You think, thinking know. about 50. Wait a minute. It smells so good. Oh my he goodness. Was, 50, really, if you're in Detroit, come really, on by Fox Souls Black no, Report. No, come on. <laughs> All right, here's a new sports commentator on the sidelines, and he is much cuter than the ones you normally see. Ten-year-old Jeremiah Fennell is taking the internet by storm with his adorable reporting yes, skills. Yes, the Las Vegas native is making strides in the sports world, and it all started when his parents told him he might not be able to play sports because of a brain defect and a detached shoulder bone, but that did not stop him. He made a YouTube channel, and his dream took him all the way to the sidelines of the Super Bowl. Being named the newest and the cutest. Congratulations, this little Jeremiah. This is Black Excellence at its I'm finest. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicole Cortez. Stay lifted. <laughs>